Welcome everyone to Faith and Purpose Podcast. Each episode of this podcast contains the personal testimony of an ordinary person transformed by an extraordinary God. My name is Kaylin and I'm here to introduce this podcast for my friend Jesse Duke. Jesse is a husband, father, author, life recovery guide, lay counselor, and small group leader, but his most important role is disciple. As a disciple of Jesus, Jesse created this podcast to help other believers tell their faith stories. We'll be hearing the personal testimonies of all sorts of people who have one thing in common. Jesus has transformed their lives. Jesus used parables because he created us to learn best through story. And as we listen to how God has worked in others' lives, we find encouragement and inspiration for our own faith walk. Whether you are already a believer or just a curious seeker, we believe that as you listen to these stories, you will be encouraged on your own faith journey. We are sure that God can speak to you through one of these episodes and that you will see that our Heavenly Father truly works all things together for our good when we simply love and trust Him. If you are currently going through a trial, we believe that you will come to see that your troubles, heartbreaks, and failures are not gravestones, but stepping stones into new life in Christ. Here's Jesse with today's guest. Welcome, everybody, to Faith and Purpose Podcast. I'm Jesse Duke, and today we have my longtime friend, Jamie Renfro, to tell his faith story. Jamie is a former Green Beret, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, and a lot more, but best of all, he's a great husband and father. Welcome, Jamie. I've known you for over four decades now, and I've never heard your story. Of course, I've got bits and pieces. But uh, so tell us your story as if I don't know a thing, however the Lord leads you. Well, I've been a, a Christian for a long time. I was born in a, a little town in South Carolina, Lakeview, which is in Dillon County, close to the North Carolina border. I'm going to give you perspective on where I grew up, a very small town. And my, my mother was a, a Christian. My grandmother was a Christian. And they made sure we were uh, in church on Sunday. My dad and my granddad, neither one, were Christians at that time. But that's how I grew up until I was 15 in, in that kind of a, a household. My dad, when I was very young, was my hero. He played semi-pro baseball. Uh, I'd go to his games, catch balls uh, when they got fouled off and that kind of thing. Um, and then he got into dirt track racing. And so I'd go to dirt track and watch him race and be a part of that. And as a very young boy, my dad was the hero that most of us boys would like to have. And uh, I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to do things like him and all of that. My parents got married very young and we have a very large family. I was the second child, the oldest boy in a family of 11 kids. My dad and mom neither had high school education. And so I'd say the biggest stress for them at that time was financial pressure, raising a, a large family. And of course, there weren't 11 kids at that when I was young, but 
still a large family. And my youngest sister was born the year I went to college, and my two youngest brothers were born after I went to the college. Um, we still had a large family when I was growing up. Finances were really tough. And my dad always worked, but some of the guys he got to hanging around with, they had an influence on him, and he allowed that. It wasn't their fault. It was his decision to start drinking alcohol. And when he played baseball, he never did any of alcohol or drugs because he needed to be in good physical condition to play baseball. And But when he started racing, that changed a lot. And <clears throat> I remember after a few years of that, I remember him coming home at night drunk and raising cane and just things really took a, a dark turn in our family over the next few years because of the things that were happening in his life. Now, during that time when I was nine, I became a Christian. But it was through the influence of my mother and grandmother, who always had us in church. And they taught us all about Jesus. And I was in church service last night, and we were singing some of the old hymns. And tears came to my eyes as I thought about my mom and grandma were the ones who I first heard singing these hymns mm -hmm. and taught mm -hmm. me the hymns and took me to church to to hear all these Christmas hymns. And so my early life, I really owe the, uh, my, my becoming a Christian and learning about Christ to my mom and grandmother who were a really large influence in my life. But like most boys, uh, as we get older, our moms and our grandmamas can't tell us too much. We look more to our dads and yeah. they have, a, a lot more influence in my life. And so after I became a Christian, I started uh, down that road of following in my dad's footsteps and becoming the person that he was at that time. Although I hated a lot of the things that I saw as a child, for some reason, boys following in, the, in their dad's footsteps. And so a lot of the things that he was doing, the foul language, the fighting, all those kinds of things that he was involved in, I was following right behind. Things changed when I was 15. Um, my sister and I rotated nights, spending the night with my grandmother who lived out in the country, one of my grandmothers that lived out in the country. My dad's mom, her husband had died years ago and years before. And so we took turns spending the night with her, keeping her company. And one night or one morning when I got up, I got a call from my mother that said, don't go to school today. Um, somebody will come pick you up. And when I got home, when I was picked up by my grand grandmother um, and brought home, there had been a, a big altercation at home. And my dad ended up in jail and my parents split up. And we lived across the street from mom and dad. And after a few weeks of that, my, my granddad and my mom worked together and he bought a mobile home and we moved this mobile home onto his property and we all moved into the mobile home on his property and that's where we lived for the next few months. And uh, one thing I like to, to tell people because I, 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 I want people to understand how Christ really changes people and changes lives and how sometimes things that look really bad in your life, God uses them to 
bring blessing. But one day I was on my bicycle downtown and while my parents were separated and my dad drew by, drove by and I saw him throw up his hand to, to wave at me. And I turned my back because I didn't mm -hmm. want anything to do with him because of the things he had done in our family and to my mom. The, the, a few years earlier, he was my hero, and now I didn't want anything to do with him. And it's because of things that had happened and transpired over those years. Mm -hmm. But fortunately, Dad had some friends who really took an interest in his life, some men who had become Christians, some men that he had known playing baseball, who he had known racing, who had become Christians. And so they invited him to church. And I heard dad say sometime later that he tried everything to straighten his life out and nothing worked until he gave his life to Christ. And so when I was 15 years old, he gave his life to Christ. He got involved in church. He came back to mom and said, I know I've really messed things up. I'd like to try again. I've given my life to Jesus and I want to be the father and the husband that you deserve. And if you'll take me back, then I'd like to start over. And I was the oldest boy. Mom came to me after that. She said, Jamie, what do you think? Dad wants to come home. And I said, Mom, please don't <laughs> ask me that. You're going to have to make that decision. That's something I cannot tell you. And But she allowed him to come back. We moved the mobile home down to his farm, started over. His mother had a small farm out in the country, and we moved down there, and we started over. And How many people were in this mobile home at that time? So at that time, there were seven and seven children, and I had, like I said earlier, I had a sister who was born, which would have been number, she would have been number nine. So there were eight of us, and then mom and dad, so it had been ten. It was a four-bedroom mobile home. The girls had two rooms and the boys had one big room with bigger room with a couple of bunks in there. That's how we lived. And we got very close. What was <laughs> neat though, is every night daddy would come home. We started doing a Bible study at home. He was home every day. We worked together to clean up the land around the mobile home and started doing things together. He started going to ball games, play high school athletics and he started being at all the games, most of the practices. Um, he became much more involved in our lives than he had been for the previous years. And things started really to change. Um, a year or so later, my oldest sister went off to college. Then uh, um, my, my um, guidance counselor at school suggested I apply to West Point. Um, and I did and got accepted. And uh, then my brother that was a couple of years younger did the same. And um, so God really started working in our home and in our life. And for me, the dramatic thing was seeing my dad before Christ and seeing my dad and our family after Christ and how things changed so dramatically. And I've heard this statistic, I don't know how True it is, but I think I'm an example of it, and that is if a mother comes to know Christ, then there's a, a pretty high percentage that the children will follow 
Um, if the father in a family comes to know Christ, then that number becomes unbelievably high, like 80 or 90 percent when the yeah. father become, comes Christ. David became the, the leader in our, our, our home, took us to church, made sure we were there, led our, our Bible studies and, and all of that, and became uh, a, a godly father and leader of our home after that. But you had a living proof of God's power right there in front of you at all times after that. So that was, I hear it in your, when you're telling this, that that was a big influence on you just to see how dramatically the change happened. So you went off to West Point after high school? Yes. So what was that like? <clears throat> Came from a very small school in, in, I, I feel like God opened the door. I applied for several colleges, West Point, and, and at that time I considered Wheaton. I thought that would be a great society. Really dedicate, rededicated my life after my dad became a Christian. I thought maybe God was leading me in that direction. I I didn't think I I got um, ever got accepted at Wheaton. My mom told me years later I did, but I don't recall that. <laughs> but I got accepted at West Point, and with our financial family financial situation, that that was a really plus because of everyone that goes to the academies are on full scholarship. That helped, and and it was academically it was very difficult for me. About halfway through the first semester, I was deficient in three courses, failed a course. There was no making up. There was no summer school because of other requirements military training and all if you, you didn't pass a course you didn't you got kicked out you couldn't come back i taught mom and dad and they'd say just pray god's got you there for a reason just do the best you can and have faith that he'll help you and he'll bring you through and by the end of that semester i was passing all my courses i never mm. was a great college student i never had a a, a, a great gpa but God brought me through all of that. And, and I think I was better prepared from a physical standpoint, having been involved in athletics and also that side of the academy didn't, wasn't a struggle as much as academically, but I, I got through. I always like to tell a story. At West Point, you have the engineers who were the top of the class and then the goats that are on the bottom of the class. And then the lowest person in the class is called the goat. And I, did, I wasn't the goat. But I could see the whites of his eyes, so I was pretty close. <laughs> but I made it through. God gave me the ability to, to get called up and and graduated. So, all right, I'm curious, and I know somebody else is going to be too. But where did that goat thing come from? What's the goat? I have from? no idea. That's just <laughs> a tradition that's gone on because it um, the midshipmen at Annapolis or their mascot's a goat. Oh, okay. And so the last person in the class is com comparable to the smartest guy at the Na Naval Academy. <laughs> uh, okay. So I guess that's where it came from. <laughs> All right. Well, so what next? So I um, was involved in the Baptist Student Union at at. at West Point, and uh, because of the way I'd seen my life 
change and my family's life changed when I was a teenager. I was determined to um, keep Christ first in my life. And I tried to do that through West Point. Um, graduated, went into the Army, um, became an infantry officer, first stationed at Fort Campbell with the 101st. And then I volunteered and went to Fort Bragg with the 5th Special Forces Group and finished my five-year commitment uh, at Fort Bragg with 5th Group. Means you were a Green Beret. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. So after your five-year commitment, what happened? Got out of the Army, and I started praying, Lord, tell me, show me what you want me to do next. I'll stay in, make it a career, I'll get out, whatever. And I felt um, at that time, at least, that maybe the Lord was leading me to get out and do some other things. Always had an interest in politics, got out, ran for a, an office in the county where I grew up in, in the probate judge, and ran for office, got a Lord, Lord brought things together at the right time, and I got elected as probate judge, served a term there. During that time, I got really interested in getting more education and going to law school. I worked around a lot of judges, a lot of lawyers, and I thought that would be a good thing to do. Mm. And at that time, I thought I might be interested in staying in, involved more in politics. But if I did, I needed a way to make a living, and I needed um, a better educate, more education. So I went to law school and graduated three years later. Something happened in law school that I want to hear about. The best thing that happened <laughs> at law school is I met my wife. And she and I started seeing each other while we were in law school. We didn't get married until... A year after we graduated, and again, it was a God thing. I felt I had fallen in love with the girl um, when I was in the army, and I just knew that she was the one. And so I, I was head over heels, and she didn't see it that way. She broke my heart when I was younger to make sure that if I ever got married, that it would be someone that God put into my life and it was his decision and not mine. Mm. And so I prayed, I met her, we started dating um, on and off. I'm still praying, Lord, you got to show me if she's the right one. And um, through a series of an events uh, after we graduated, I knew she was the one. God really touched my heart and I knew that I knew so I asked her to marry me, and we got married, and been now been married for over thirty years. So mm. Three three daughters from that marriage. So. <laughs> I'm sensing a pattern here. You, after you see back in high school, you started praying. You prayed about what college to go to, and you applied to different colleges, and you trusted God to lead you there. And then. When it was time to get out of the army, you prayed and asked for direction there. You went to, you did the probate judge thing, and then you felt like God was leading you to go to law school. You did that. You trusted God for your life mate, and He did that. <laughs> and I'm sensing a pattern here. Keep going. I think 
I've had several young people come to me uh, over the last few years. I think it's called them old, <laughs> older, <laughs> and say, "What do you think's the secret to success?" And I think as a as a young man, I I made a decision as a person. I think we all have to make a decision on what's going to be our focus in life. Mm. And I like to think about this in terms of a, a, a of a military exercise that I had back when I was in the army it was called uh, land navigation. It's it, on the, in the civilian world, it's called orienteering. And in this exercise, um, you learn how to read a compass, you use a compass and a map and you're given coordinates on that map and you mark it and you mark where you are, you draw a line to it, you figure out how far from where you are to where you're going. And you also put your compass down on that map and figure out what direction you got to go to get there. And then in the army, we were given a, a cord to tie to our belt. And so when you take off and you shoot your compass in the direction you got to go and you start walking, you start counting your steps and every hundred steps or every what, what you figure to be a hundred meters in your walk, you tie a knot in it and, and you go to your target. Well, that works okay, except there's a lot of obstacles around the way, along the way. And sometimes you get to a, a, a lake or a river and you got to go around it. You can't just, you just can't shoot your asthma across the river and uh, swim it. I guess you could, but what you do is you do something called resectioning and you, and you take 90 degrees to go along the river and then you find a place to cross and then you cross it and then you take 90 degrees back. And, but it's a, uh, it's a pretty tedious thing if, if you're out in the woods and you're traveling and you're trying to get find a little stake several miles away in the middle of the woods. Um, it takes a lot of expertise. It takes a lot of practicing and, and all, but it's totally dependent on what you've learned and what you can do. One day, my ranger buddy and I were getting ready to start out, and we noticed that right above where this end point was supposed to be, this target was supposed to be, was a tower sitting on the side of the mountain. And we figured that if we could go to the tower, it'd be easy to find that stake just a short distance from the tower. And so instead of, of shooting our asthma, counting our steps, and doing all those things, we just went to the tower. And we still had the same obstacles across, but it was much easier because we didn't have to count steps. We didn't have to keep up with directions. We just went to the tower. And when we got to the tower, then we just had a short distance to shoot an ass was back to the target. And we got there and we got there much faster than if we had done it our way and much easier. And so I think that's a good analogy of how life is. You can do it totally on your own. Mm. You can take off. You can have dreams. You, you can do it by yourself. And you hear people a lot of times, successful people say, oh, I'm a self-made man, I'm a self-made man. I don't think that's true, but that's what a lot of people set out to do. Or you can focus on Christ and you can live for him. And then all these other things are, are, are going to take care of themselves. You don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to have everything mapped out just perfectly every time when those obstacles come in your life it's much easier to deal with them if you're living for him and and 
I think it's what was what it says in Hebrew. After um, the author of Hebrews lays out this hall of fame, what I call a hall of faith, um, of all these great characters in the Bible and what they had done, what they had accomplished through their faith in Christ, then it says, okay, so what's the lesson here? In, in Hebrews 12, it says, so what do we do? And it says, fix your eyes on Christ. Mm. And so just as we, I was fixing my eyes on that tower to get to my target, in life we have to fix our eyes on Christ. Mm. And an interesting thing happened. I learned just a few months ago, I had this in my mind about fixing your eyes on Christ and living for Christ and all these things to be taken care of. And a good friend of mine, Adrian Dupre, he and I were talking about that. And he said, well, you know how you fix your eyes on Christ, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, you know, go to church. Or, you know, I got this picture in my mind of, of Jesus on the cross and Jesus off the cross. And then he said, no, he said, you're missing it. He said, what does John chapter one say? And it says, um, that the word is Christ. And he said, if you want to focus on Christ, focus on the word. Mm. And he quoted several other scriptures about Jesus being the word and how that, and how important that is in our life. And so now when I think about focusing on Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm in the word. Mm. And I think that's how we grow and how we make it through life more abundantly. If we want abundant life, if we want a successful life, then we focus on God. We focus on Jesus and we focus and and we do that by staying in the word. And that's hard to do sometimes. That's the, we get distracted in life. We get too busy. And so we, mm. we get out of the word. It's like back to my nat land navigation example. Sometimes you can't see that tower. So what do you have to do? You, you, you don't want to just keep going in the wrong direction. So you have to refocus. And the way you do that on, on land navigation is you find high ground. You either go to a, a mountaintop so you can see the tower or you climb a tree or some way so you can see that tower to make sure you get back focused. It's the same thing is true in life, I think. And that is get off track sometimes so you get go through these dark valleys sometimes where things just aren't going well and most of the time in my life when I, that's happened it's because i've gotten out of the word I, i've gotten my eyes off of christ and got it into back into on to jamie and jamie's what jamie wants to do and what mm -hmm. um, jamie thinks the right thing to do and I, 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 I fall back on my skills and my training instead of focusing first on christ well, that's the way. Yeah, that's the way. Pe that's the way the world operates. We just do what feels right. <laughs> that's right. What's what seems right in our own eyes. Exactly. That's interesting. I would just want to say you. I, I like that land navigation analogy you gave. I just this last year I started using a Bible reading plan. I've never really been into those things because I'm thinking. Why should I focus on getting through the Bible in a year? I just want to be in the Word. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I don't need this plan. And But I decided to go ahead and give it a try, and I started. And one of the things that I've learned is how relevant 
the word is to my life, even when I don't think it is. In other words, like if I'm on the... Ah, here's an example. I I was reading in the old prophets. I think I was in Zechariah (laughs) about the time that... No, Ezekiel. Oh, this... Yeah, I was in Ezekiel about the time this whole thing over in Israel started back on October 7th and all the stuff that started happening around that. And man, that brought that Bible to life. Everything that was... Everything God was saying through Ezekiel just came to life because I could see it in the world it was just happening it's happening right now and god's word is so relevant even though it was written thousands of <laughs> hundreds and thousands of years ago it's, wow it, that's just one example i don't have to be necessarily be reading on topics that are relevant to what i'm going through that's a self-centered way to look at it but if i just focus on the word and somehow it, god weaves it into my life and another thing is that I've always heard that uh, the analogy of a ship on the sea, if the ship's sitting still, it, it can't go anywhere. It, it, it has to be moving in order for to turn the rudder to make the ship move. It's the analogy for me is I have to be moving in God's direction and, and doing something <laughs> to connect with him so that he can turn me the way he wants me to go. So that's one, that's another value of having a reading plan rather than my plan. Thank you for that land navigation analogy because that made that come alive for me. How important is reading the Bible necessarily, but just reading. And uh, he said, what you ought to do is keep a book, and in this case, a Bible, right by your bedside, and, may, and develop a habit of every night before you turn off the light is read a chapter or two. And he said, you'll be amazed how many books over the course of a year you'll read if you just read a chapter every night before you go to sleep. So I started that practice and it was amazing. How many people in this country read 12 books a year? I found that most, if I read one chapter a night in a book, I can read a book a month. Wow. About what it works out to. Not many people read 12 books a year and now if you put that in the bible context if you do that read a chapter every night then you, you can go through the bible pretty quickly and then you do that on top of church and other things but it's very important that we develop habits that are good we, it's easy to develop habits that are bad but it's hard to develop habits that are good and i think if we all get in the habit of, of reading a chapter a day in the bible at the very least then we can as you say a while ago about keeping the ship on the right course. I think it really helps a lot when we develop those kind of good habits. I forgot where we were in your story. <laughs> Sorry, I diverted there, but let's see, where were we? Oh, you talked about you got married, you had three girls. What was that like raising three, three girls? I think a lot of men always want boys, want well, some boys mixed in there. We, got, we want to have girls, but we want boys. But the Lord uh, saw to it that I had three girls. And in, in retrospect, that was probably the right thing. I probably would have been too tough on boys. Mm. Um, but my wife was or is the backbone in our home as far as raising girls. And she's really good at it because she likes to communicate. She, she talks with them and they talk with her. And But we've 
kept them in church while they were coming up. We taught them. We, we tried to duplicate what my mom and my grandmother and then later my dad did for us and what her mom and her grandmother did for her. We tried to teach them and, and do for them what, what had been done for us to pass that on, which I think as a parent, that's our responsibility. And when you're raising children, not just girls, raising children, you're always thinking about, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing, am I too hard? Am I too easy? And all those things. And um, you never know. You know, I think if we could raise children one time and then get all that experience and then start over, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be a, a lot easier the second time around. But it, it, the first time you're just learning as you go. I think the secret is, one, you got to live an example for them. You got to live what you teach them because if they see any hypocrisy in you, they're not going to take it serious. So they got to see it. And then secondly, you got to, as children, you control their time and what they get involved in and all of those kind of things. So you make sure that they're involved in a good church, a good youth program. I know when Carl and I had after I've been practicing law for a number of years, decided to move up to Spartanburg, South Carolina, which was a new city for us and all. And so when we got there, we were looking for a church. And so we talked about what we're looking for. There was there actually there was a church that we really liked. Um, as far as the teaching and all, need to be where there's a great youth program for our girls. Mm -hmm. And so we joined that church with a great youth program, not not that the teaching and the preaching was bad or anything. It's just the the youth program was so good. We wanted our children to be a part of that, and I think that's really important. Um, but back to the hypocrisy thing, you can't just send your kids to church and send them to the youth program, and outside of church live a completely different life. Right. You got to be the example for right. them and how you live. And we certainly are not perfect. I'm not trying to say that, but they're going to do what you do. And mm -hmm. if it's bad, they're going to do what you do times three or four or five or 10. And if you do some good things, then they're going to see that and learn from that too. So um, that's important, raising children. Well, thank you for that. You know, one thing I try to remember to ask everybody is, have there been any spiritual valleys that they've gone through? Any times that you've doubted the Lord or had challenges that you uh, have struggled with that he brought you through that you would like to, to share? I think as a young Christian, we um, maybe we're taught, maybe we just hear that if you pray that God will answer your prayers. And I think as a young Christian, oftentimes God, you pray and God immediately answers your prayers. And you say, wow, this is God's really wonderful. I think as we start maturing as Christians, a lot of times we pray for things that we don't get answers to right away. And I think since I believe that God answers all our prayers, then there must be a reason why God doesn't always answer our prayers immediately. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
it's because he's trying to grow us. If you every time you got on your knees, you pray for something, and voila, it's there. Then that doesn't take a lot of faith, <laughs> right? Um, but God wants to grow our faith. All of the Old Testament, all of the gospel is gospel are about growing our faith. And so as we mature, I think God holds some of the blessings back sometimes to see, you know, are we going to, we're going to, we're going to continue to have faith, even though our prayers are not answered immediately. And there are a number of stories in the Bible. I was just reading again about Abraham and Sarah and how God withheld a child for a while and it's a test of faith. It was not only a test, it was also a time period of growth and you know, who you gonna trust? Mm -hmm. Are you gonna trust what people say? Are you gonna trust what the physical circumstances are? Are you gonna trust God? And so I think that as we mature in, in our faith that, that God doesn't just answer all of our prayers immediately. He continues to answer some of our prayers immediately, but some he wants to grow us. And um, it's I, I think about the, the children of Israel as they left Egypt. Mm. And God brought them out of Egypt, and, and yet they turned around, and here was Pharaoh's army following them. So right. Why did God let that happen? I think he, it was a test of faith. It's it, what I want you to learn, where I'm taking you, you learn, need to learn to live by faith. And so after God destroyed the Egyptian army, he could have taken them right into the promised land. They could have been in the promised land in two weeks. Uh -huh. And he took them out in the wilderness. Why did he take them out in the wilderness? I, I think it was to, to train them in faith. I think it was to prepare them for a life of faith, which is what he wanted them to learn how to do, to trust in him and live by faith. Mm. And I think a, another example of why that's true is because when after they were out in the wilderness for two years, um, God told them to send spies into the promised land to check out the land, or, or maybe God didn't send them that. Maybe they de decided they were going to send spies before they went into the promised land. And when they came back, 10 of them said, no way, we can't beat these Philistines, these Canaanites, these, they're giants. We can't do that. And what it proved is most of the people had not learned how to live by faith. Only two of them understood what God was trying to teach them in the wilderness. And so they ended up spending a lot more time in the wilderness because of their unwillingness or their whatever they didn't grow in their faith. And I think God puts us in the wilderness at times like that to grow our faith and see, okay, who you say you believe and that you have faith. Let's see if that's true. What he did to Job even, um, or allowed to ha happen to Job is a test of whether he really had faith in God or if he had faith in the things that God had provided mm -hmm. him. And of course we know that Job had faith in God far beyond his faith and the things that God had provided in his life. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I was thinking about how the 10 spies, they came back and they said that, and we were as like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And they saw themselves in relation to the giants as grasshoppers. And so that was a 
they weren't seeing themselves in their identity and God like David did when he went up against Goliath. David ran towards Goliath because his self-image was God was with him. And he, God was going to do exactly what he was going to do. And it's, so that's a, I, we could have a long discussion about identity in Christ, but it does make a huge difference how you view yourself in relation to God and how you react to the world and all these things we come up against in life. So that's awesome. It looks like we're about out of time. So I want to just ask you, if you only have one bit of wisdom to pass on to a future generation, somebody who may be listening to this 10 or 20 years from now, or even now, just any one bit of wisdom that you would want to share hoping that people would really grasp i think the the only wisdom that i have is what i've learned from the bible and that is if you want to have a successful life fix your eyes on christ that's Mm -hmm. the key fix your eyes on christ and live that way and it's not my wisdom i think it's god's wisdom but I, I can't think of any other advice. I, I remember before I went off to West Point, Mama made that point. She said, Jamie, you're going to be times where you can't do everything. You're going to have more on you than you can can do. And she says that's when you really got to put the other things aside and focus on Christ. Um, and she was right. I couldn't get those three grade, those three courses up by myself i just had to focus on christ and do the best i could and i think that's to me that's the secret of life fix your eyes on christ we do that by focusing on the word and you gave us a great visual with with that tower you headed towards instead of following your own way (laughs) that was great would you pray for anybody who's listening now there's somebody out there who who is your God's going to hear your prayer and answer it in, on their behalf. However, the Holy Spirit leads you. Pray for us. Okay, I'd be glad to. Lord, we just thank you for her many wonderful blessings. And as I talk through my testimony and what you've done in my life, none of it is credit to me. It's all credit for you and what the way you've cared for me and my family and my parents and my siblings and my relatives you've just been wonderful to our family and i can't thank you enough lord i I really believe as i've said uh, over and over today is that the secret to success in life is to fix our eyes on you to march toward you to work our way through life focused on you and you will help us deal with the obstacles you'll make them uh, much more easy uh, to deal with Um, We don't have to depend on our own skills and our great intellect and wisdom and all those things that we think can get us through. We can depend on you, and you have all the resources we need. You have all the wisdom we need. You can see the future and know what's best for us. Just teach us, Lord, every day to fix our eyes on you, serve you, and become the righteous people you'd have us be in christ's name amen amen thank you you've really blessed me today jamie and i'm sure you blessed a lot of people out there thank you i appreciate you let me be a part of this ministry thank you 
We hope you've been blessed by today's story. In case you haven't noticed, there are no advertisements on this podcast, and we hope to keep it that way. So if you've heard something that you think could help someone you know, please share it using the link in the show notes. Also, if you will give Faith and Purpose a positive review on your podcast platform, you could help more people find it. You will probably never know how that small effort can make a big difference in someone's life, but our Heavenly Father knows. Speaking of sharing, if you know a Jesus follower with a story to tell, please send them a link to Faith and Purpose podcast. It may encourage them to tell their story. That person may even be you. Our only criteria is that Jesus be glorified. Most Christians don't share their faith because they mistakenly think their story is not interesting enough or that it's self-centered to talk about themselves or that they are not competent to explain the gospel correctly. But none of that is relevant. If Jesus has changed your life, you have a story to tell. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. All of our stories are completely unique. No one has a story like yours, and you may be the only one who can reach someone else through telling your experience. So don't be intimidated. A story is just that, a true account of your own experience, and no one can disagree with your experience. When we tell what Jesus has done in our lives, we are being obedient to his command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's not about theology, and it's not about how interesting or special you are. It's all about Jesus. So when you're ready to tell how Jesus has impacted your life, you can let Jesse know at his ministry website, jessieduke.net. There you can download guidelines that will make it easy to prepare to tell your story. Thank you for listening today, and shalom. Shalom.